gather to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and today we're going to be uh, starting with verse 15, Matthew nine fifteen. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast. The Jews did, the disciples of John did, and Christ says that once he was gone, he said we would too. Richard Foster said in this classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, this verse, that is, then they will fast, is the most important statement in the New Testament on whether Christians should fast today. They will fast. As I said last week, I'd like to uh, talk to you today about that subject, a much neglected subject these days. Many of you have noticed that I've lost a little weight, actually almost 30 pounds now after 29 days of a 40-day fast with 11 days to go. So uh, unfortunately, in my position, I can't exactly hide it. And um, especially those of you who know me for a long time, I'm not sick. I, I've never felt better in my spirit, though I'm a little weak in my body. And uh, I can't hide it. I wish I could go into the wilderness like Moses and Christ did. I think there was a reason they did that, because they didn't want to attract attention to what they looked like. And that would be good, but I can't. So instead, I'd like to do some explaining, to use this as an opportunity to do some teaching about the spiritual discipline that uh, we call fasting. You'll find it all through the Scripture. You'll find it all through church history. But you'll not often hear about it from the pulpits of this country. And I'll tell you why in a bit. I don't think there's, a, there's any other discipline that has more uh, revolutionized my life than the discipline of fasting. And I know a few of you, too, feel the same way, maybe, uh, except maybe prayer. And now, for over 30 years, I've seen it happen again and again and again. I've seen what happens when believers do fast. Today I'd like to look at this, uh, at this biblical exhortation that we fast and, for a bit, at the biblical explanation as to why we ought to. And I'd also like to share some of, from my own personal experience of what happens uh, when we do. Uh, and that is, you become kind of like what you see up there on the screens. You really do, a sword in his hand. In, in the human dimension, you may, you know, look like a skeleton, but in the divine dimension, you are a weapon, a weapon of the Spirit, all because, as I've titled this message, power is perfected in weakness. A fundamental scriptural teaching that His power is perfected in our weakness. As I said, it's all over the place in the Scripture. Uh, Christ could hardly have made it more clear himself. He kind of summed up the teaching. Then they will fast. He was talking about the attendants or the disciples uh, of the bridegroom. And he said that he didn't expect his, his disciples to fast while he was with them because that was a time for celebration. But he said when he was taken from them, then they would. 
Of course, Christ himself fasted. He practiced what he preached. And it says he fasted for 40 days. And that 40 days, uh, that 40 day fast prepared him for and empowered the ministry that would go on to completely change the world. It all began with a fast. And at the end of his ministry, he said, once I'm gone, then they, that is my disciples, you would fast too. And fast they did. All through the New Testament, if you study it, there's far too many verses to go into today. Just like they did all through the Old Testament. And it didn't end uh, with the New Testament church. I could cite scores of examples from church history. John Wesley, one of the fathers of the Second Great Awakening, uh, one of kind of our church fathers uh, in our tradition, he made a regular practice of it. One of the ways he brought that awakening on was through fasting and expecting it from his leaders and and, uh, the disciples that were part of that movement. And he said something that I think applies to us. I said at the beginning that I tell you why we don't hear much about fasting in the American church, much less do much about it. Here, I believe, is a good part of the reason. It's what Wesley said. He said, the reason why Christians in general do not live out their salvation is this. There is too much sleep, too much meat and drink, too little fasting and self-denial, too much conversation with the world, too much preaching and hearing, and too little self-examination and prayer. Then they will fast. But do they? So we have really the exhortation, the biblical exhortation. Just a few examples of many. But what about the explanation? Why are we supposed to fast? Well, fasting does many things, but ultimately it channels the power of God. In fact, you might say it's the, uh, many have called it the nuclear weapon in our spiritual arsenal and the weapons of our warfare. And the explanation for that is this. Again, it's power perfected in weakness. In fact, there is no uh, deeper way to show how repentant we are and how fervent we are that He help us, that He come through. It shows your utter dependence on God. When you align yourself on Him and total uh, reliance on Him so His power can come through your weakness, through your emptiness, until you're, just, you're almost like a sword in His hand. That's the scriptural teaching. It's all over the place in the Bible. When Daniel saw that 70 years had passed, I'll just give one example. That the 70 years had passed when God promised that he'd bring his people back to Israel after the Babylonian captivity, remember that? And he, and he, uh, that it was time for God to come through for his people like he promised he would. He started appealing to God that he make good on his promise, which is what he wants us to do too. And uh, he immediately launched, when he saw that and he realized that he said, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God in the most intense way possible. That's what he was saying. He prayed one of the most powerful prayers that uh, you'll find in all of Scripture, one that I've prayed for America for uh, once a month for at least uh, 20 years now. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, 
And what he goes on to pray gets to the heart and soul of what fasting is all about, the intensity, the spirit, the pleading, the passion. So I thought we'd learn about fasting together as we uh, actually pray his prayer. As I read, why don't you close your eyes as, as you feel led, if that helps you pray better, and pray with me. This will get you into the very spirit of what it means to fast. Try staying focused and make this great prayer your own. This is what will save our country. O Lord, the great and awesome God, You always fulfill Your promises of unfailing love to those who love You and keep Your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commands. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Focus now. Focus on this in your spirit. All Israel has has disobeyed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not asked the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our sins and recognizing your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Keep your eyes closed. Don't let your mind wander. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. You know, few of us, myself included, 
can pray that way for even a few minutes without the help of Scripture. That's what one thing Scripture is given for. But when you fast, it's like praying that kind of prayer with uh, that kind of intensity with your body, soul, and spirit. It's the nuclear intensifier of prayer. It's it's like praying that kind of prayer with that kind of intensity, with the force of that kind of, you know, sword, 24-7, however long you fast. Who would want to neglect that? When there are such needs out there, all the way from maybe your grandchildren who are going off the deep end to a nation that's going off the deep end. No wonder, he said, then they will fast. And if that's not what we need in our country today, I don't know what is that kind of zeal for him on the field of battle. But we're eating and drinking and making merry. Is it any wonder that the forces of darkness are overtaking the land? So much of the church is asleep behind the lines. And the preachers are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And there will be a reckoning. One of my seminary professors, John Woodbridge, put it this way. We may sincerely profess orthodox doctrine, yet find that our primary interests revolve around ourselves. Think about this. Test your heart. We may sincerely profess orthodox doctrine, yet find that our primary interests revolve around ourselves rather than the neighbor we are called to love or the God we are commanded to honor. We may bemoan the moral decline in the country, but our actual concern, if truth be known, is not to see a vital Christianity flourish, but rather to see a more orderly and less violent society in which to live out our comfortable and self-satisfied lives. Is that you? You want him to return to our land? You want God to bless America? Well, then America had better start blessing God, right? Starting with the church. What our country most needs is hearts that are so so uh, broken over our sins that we pound our chests and that we buffet our bodies and to the point of gut-wrenching hunger pangs that groan deeper than words before God Almighty with this humble and contrite spirit that empties itself even of food to make more room for Him. That's how you'll bring Him back. In your own heart. For thus says the high and exalted one, Isaiah 57, 15, I love this verse, who inhabits eternity, whose, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him who is lowly and contrite of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Make your heart lowly and contrite, and he will return to the land by returning in power to your heart. An empty stomach is a sign of an empty vessel that's fit for his use. And uh, what happens as a result of that? Well, a lot of things. 
When Daniel fasted, he decided to do it for 21 days. Somehow God led him into a 21-day fast, a Daniel fast, as we now call it. But unbeknown to him, there was a spiritual battle raging above him during that exact same period of time for 21 days. And it was on the 21st day, the last day of Daniel's fast, that the battle was won. And the uh, Archangel Michael was finally able to break through. He said, I've been fighting up there for three weeks. And he says, I've finally broken through on the 21st day to give Daniel the insight that he had asked for. Insight into the vision that he had been given. And so more than one thing happens, happened when he fasted. And so with us. There's no deeper way to show how repentant we are and how fervent we are that we, He help us. Praying and fasting is how you show your utter dependence, your total, you know, uh, repentance. Not just them, but me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Your complete brokenness, not only for your own sins, but for the sins of the country. So power can be perfected in weakness, in your reliance, through your emptiness. It has nothing to do with us. We get out of the way, Right? Nothing to do with me. I'm decreasing so he can increase. That's the story of what he wants us to be as Christians. It's no wonder he said, then they will fast. There's so much more. But that's a good part anyway of the Bible's explanation as to why we uh, ought to do it. The explanation behind what we've seen, the Bible's exhortation that we do it. Now, as I said, I'd also like to share some from my own life, not just from the Scripture, but how this is actually true, how it bears out when you put it into practice. One of the, my first times doing it was back in 1982 uh, when I was in graduate school. Julie knows well about this one. I, I happened to be interested in someone at the time who uh, happened to be interested in someone else, not me. A guy who was definitely not right for her. Not that I was biased or anything. You know how that goes. I just knew it. I just knew he wasn't right for her. And so when she went back to New York to visit him for three days, I went on a three-day fast uh, to cover that time while she was gone and prayed that they'd break it up, break it off. Not for my sake, of course, but for her sake. It would be in her best interest not to marry this guy. Well, it was my first longer fast, and I'm telling you, it was hell on earth. And I find so many people try it out, say it can't be for me, it was so horrible, and they never do it again. Well, that's the way it always starts. You train your body over time. You buffet your body. It becomes your slave. It really does. And so, but man, I was counting the minutes. I got so weak and so tired. Got this splitting headache. All I could think about, you know, was was a food. In fact, at the seminary, you, whenever you came and go, you had to drive by this Wendy's. And when you fast, you smell things more intensely, unfortunately. And so going back and forth, I kept smelling these Wendy doubles, you know, and thinking about Frosties and stuff. And so when I was over, the, the very, you know, minute the third day was done, uh, my, a friend and I went to Wendy's and I, I downed a double and a medium fries and a Frosty. Probably took about, you know, 10 minutes. And before I knew it, I was doubled over in pain. I was on my dorm bed in a fetal position for like two hours. I thought I was going to die. It was like labor pains. And um, 
You see, there are some, I didn't know it then, but there are some procedures you need to follow if you, uh, if you do this, like eating just a little bit of a t- at a time. In fact, in a lot of ways, the greatest discipline is not the fasting, but the breaking of the fast. That you do it slowly in a way that's healthy. <laughs> and uh, because your stomach does shrink. Which I did know. I guess I did know that, but I just couldn't resist the temptation. By the way, when you fast for an extended period of time, especially for 10 days or more, it's really important to see a doctor who understands, as I did yesterday, and I probably will again, just to make sure everything's all right. But, and some people with certain physical conditions should abstain from fasting altogether, like those with diabetes, um, for, for instance, or peptic ulcer disease or pregnancy or, or with eating disorders. And I'll tell you a little bit more about some more information at the very end. But back to the story. When she got back from New York, this girl who I was so selflessly fasting for, right, you know, when she got back three days later, almost miraculously, she just announced they'd broken it off. I thought, ah, fasting works. Praise God, my prayers are answered. But then I made the mistake of telling her so. You know, I, the, how I knew all along it wasn't right, how I've been fasting that they'd get a clue. And I'm telling you, did that hit the fan with her? And uh, two weeks later, they were back together again. And then they got married. <laughs> so that was my first experience. But let me be quick to add, as it turned out, they will tell you that that breakup was just what they needed in their relationship for God to do certain things, and that the whole experience was just what I needed in so many ways. And at the same time, get this. Remember how I said how when you fast, other things are going on that, you're, that, that, that are being impacted that you know nothing about as you just make yourself self-available? At the same time that I was praying and fasting for this one who I thought would be my future wife, the one who was my future wife was in the throes of a decision that landed her at Trinity College right across the street from Trinity Seminary, where I was. Julie was making the decision that would make it possible for us to meet and marry at the same time I was fasting. Never met her in my life. Because like Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. We, sometimes we pray the total opposite of God's will, but he takes that when we pray and fast for one thing, and he takes that faith, he takes that resolve, he takes that fervency and intensity and channels it in a way that does fulfill his will. There's so many stories. In 1987, I was, I was researching the book of Revelation for something I was writing, and I came to a place where I really needed some insight. Just a, like a total roadblock. And at the same time, I read in my devotions, and it really clicked for the first time, how Daniel fasted for 21 days for insight into this vision that he'd been given. Couldn't figure it out. Driving him crazy. So for 21 days, he did that fast. We remember when there was a 21-day battle going on in the heavenly places? And, um, and um, at the same time, there was a tremendous battle going on in the church, and a lot of flesh was coming out. And I knew, of course, we don't struggle against people, Paul says. It's, they're not our enemies. We don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against the invisible forces of wickedness that know how to press all our buttons, right? And so it was the same setup as Daniel. I needed under, understanding. There was a battle that needed to be won. So I went to pray for 21 days and fast, like Daniel did, for, for victory in the heavenly places, and for insight into the vision uh, 
uh, into John's uh, vision and revelation. And many other people were praying too. And God came through for the church. And I'm telling you, after 21 days, my view of revelation was, was revolutionized. Unbelievable. I've, I've, not seen, I've not seen it in many of the commentaries, but the whole book fits together uh, in such a masterful way. It's like, why didn't I see it before? It's so obvious. Why hasn't anyone seen it before? That was 1987. Went on to do it on a periodic basis, one day, three days, seven days. Uh, Julie and I, for many years, fasted a day a week as we started our family uh, to, to establish it on a firm foundation for all three of our kids. At our church in Estes Park, Back in the uh, mid-90s, God led me into a 40-day fast. And you never know what's going to happen, but all hell broke loose. But soon, God turned it on a dime. We became a completely different church to the point that we changed our name. So much happened that had to happen. And now I understand why Bill Bright, how many of you know who Bill Bright is, the founder of Campus Crusade International, um, passed away a few years ago. Now I know why Bill Bright prayed that God would raise up two million Christians in North America to fast 40 days. To fast for 40 days like he did, believe it or not, like three years before he died, he did a 40-day fast. So don't tell me I'm too old to do it. (laughs) Because he discovered what I did, which is why he said, I believe the power of fasting and prayer is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil. And then a second 40-day fast resulted in an incredible chain of events, both locally at our church in Estes Park and even globally. Many, many were fasting 40 days back then. And among many other things, that fast landed us in Grace Church Roseville in Minnesota. It was just a miracle. Five years later, a third 40-day fast landed us here at Dilling Community Church. We felt we had done all we could at our church in Minnesota. It was time to leave. Uh, it was time to free them to find someone who could lead them uh, into their next chapter. And uh, we weren't asked to leave. We weren't coerced. We chose to leave because God told us to, to jump without a net. He was, I think he was testing to see if we'd just let it all go at his beck and call. He does that sometimes. It's kind of the Abraham command, right? We ended up... Uh, didn't know how long it was going to take to find a church. We ended up being 21 months without a church. And boy, do we know the meaning of being without work. We can relate. But during that time, I wrote a book on heaven, one that will be coming out early next year. One that I wouldn't have had a time to write without being without work for 21 months, without, you know, if I had been working a full-time job. And um, at the end of those 21 months, I'd come to a roadblock in my writing, And so I went into another 40-day fast uh, for deeper understanding, and I was fasting that God would, would, uh, you know, do a breakthrough when it came to our placement in another church. I felt it was time. God, it's time. The book is almost done now, so please do something. And during that time, God gave me deeper understanding, 
into this thing I was writing more for more than three or four books that could easily come. And within two weeks after the end of the fast, over a dozen churches contacted us. One of them being, I'm glad to say, Dillon Community Church. Fast forward to today. Why this 40-day fast? What's going on, Brian? There are some things that are going on here that I can't share which need this kind of uh, nuclear focus of attention. But under it all, it's what you might call a preparatory fast. And, you know, the patterns kind of of what we do in many ways, including fasting, reflect what you see in Scripture. And for me, what motivates me in this one is the pattern that I see in the life of Christ when he uh, fasted 40 days as a preparation and an empowerment for his earthly ministry. This is a preparatory fast to prepare myself, to prepare my family, my three kids, and to prepare us as a congregation for whatever the future might hold. You may not have known it, but we've been preparing for uh, three years now. We began with an entire ministry year focusing on growing, growing intimacy with God. Remember that? The bottom line, really, the bottom line of being ready for anything, growing intimacy with God. Then we spent another ministry year last year focusing on becoming more of a caring community, which is second only to growing intimacy when it comes to being ready. And on that foundation, this year, we're focusing on going passionately. We're uh, we're assuming a very particular posture of great hearts that patrol the roads. Going passionately. Assuming the posture not of Pollyannas with their heads in the sand, which many people have these days. Uh, Not of cowards who kind of slink in the shadows. Not of survivalists who only care about themselves, and there are a whole lot of them out there. No, assuming the posture of great hearts who patrol the roads. How do you prepare for the future, whatever it might be? As the Scripture says, we ought to. Bottom line is that you need to get networked. Your most precious possession, many don't realize it now, but your most precious possession will be those you can trust. Who love you, who you love, who watch out for one another, who lay down their lives for one another. Just like in the New Testament church, where there was not a needy person among them, it says, because they came together to support one another. It's a wonderful thing. And on that foundation, they uh, they took to the roads and called people into the kingdom of light out of a very dark world. Which is just what we'll be doing for the next six weeks through 40 days of community. This is kind of the kickoff message for that, I guess. I hadn't planned to do it this way, but it's all in God's plan. We'll be breaking up into small groups to deepen our community within our church, to shore up all the more what we developed last year, 
breaking up into small groups to deepen our community within our church, and through these groups, we'll be reaching out into the community around our church. Very simple. And you can sign up for that at the welcome table. Uh, One group will actually be meeting on Sunday mornings right here at church starting this Sunday morning. Uh, Their first meeting will be this very next hour at 1030 right over there uh, in our chapel. Uh, James Rohde and Tim Morris will be leading it, and you're welcome to join that one if you'd like. And we have many other groups, too, meeting during the week. Uh, Just six weeks, you're not committing your life away to start networking at a deeper level. You know, if you think about it, all this, as I close now is exactly what the writer of the Hebrews said, is the secret for survival in an evil day. Because what we'll most need is what he calls outbursts of love and good deeds. That's what the church can be all about. And where do they come from? Well, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says this, and with this I'll close. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. I, I, like, I love that translation. Where do they come from? Next verse. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of His coming back again is drawing near. So let's go for it for six weeks to see these outbursts of love and good deeds brightening up a world that has such great needs. If you want to study more about fasting, I'm still praying about it, but I I think what we might do is do a a 40-day congregational fast over the period of Lent. That is starting Ash Wednesday and leading all the way up to Easter, where you sign up to fast just one meal uh, a week for the 40 days, or maybe God will lead you to fast one day a week for those 40 days, or fast three days over the whole 40 days, or some of you who have been doing it longer, maybe 21 days. And the goal will be to fill up every meal as many times as we can for 40 days. And so I'll be just kind of planting the seed every once in a while. Today's the first time. And if you want to get ready for that, to do it all together, and maybe even to start practicing this discipline on your own, there are two books that I most recommend. One is God's Chosen Fast, A Spiritual and Practical Guide to Fasting by Arthur Wallace. This is the classic that got me going back when I was at La Brie in Switzerland a year after I finished high school in 1973. It planted the seed that that had a powerful impact in my life. It's written in a little bit of a dated way, but it's well worth reading. The other one is called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And it's become a classic, a guide to nine biblical fasts. It takes the patterns of fasts in the Scripture and and guides you through them by an elder evangelical statesman named Elmer Towns, forwarded by Dr. Bill Bright. Fasting for spiritual breakthrough. So um, the, the key is to start with information, with biblical understanding to give you the faith that you need in order to see whether this is what God wants you to do. Really, it's all uh, wrapped up in a lot of ways what we've been talking about uh, today in our vision, going passionately out of our growing intimacy with God, 
a caring community for the county and the world, sharing Christ in word and deed. It's all to intensify that. And if that's what you're doing with us, and we're going shoulder to shoulder and face to face to make that happen like never before, if you're really working for that, if you're together with us, whatever goes on out there, you can go into the world in peace. You really can. Why don't you all stand? Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. See you soon.